0: Good morning. We hope that the preludes that we play each week help you to prepare your heart for worship, to quiet your heart after a busy week, or to prepare your heart to meet with God and celebrate Jesus' grace along with all your brothers and sisters. We don't want to just do good music, but we want it to be another tool to bring you nearer to Jesus. Also, a little bit of family business. We hope that you're picking up these worship orders each week. Uh, We provide these for a few different reasons. One is that many people have found them helpful to bring home and to use in their own personal devotional times to sing the hymns throughout the week, to pray the prayers. Um, And even though now we also have hymnals in our room, we do a lot of songs that aren't in the hymnal. And so to have the music right in front of you for a lot of us helps us to learn a song more quickly. So we'd encourage you to make sure you get those as you walk in each week. Last piece of family business for us today is that for this service, if when you come in, you can move towards the center of the room. We don't have to worry about that today. But um, the, if you move towards the center, it'll help us to find seats for everybody as they come in, especially we usually have a choir and orchestra up here. So then we have a bunch more people coming in afterwards. And so that'll help everyone to find a seat. So we appreciate that starting next week. With that, here, uh, God call you to worship through his word in Romans 12one to 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's stand and praise him this morning.
1: How do people change? See, I think that when we ask that question, people have different opinions and different answers. I think that for some people, the secret to change is to have good intentions. Is to say, I I really really want to change. For some other people, people change by. Uh, modifying your behavior by exercising certain level of restriction in certain things and exercise really good self-control. See, I think that some people think that we change when we try really, really hard. That if you keep trying eventually, you will change. And I think that there's a certain level of truth in that. But it's only a certain level of truth. Because it is possible To change your behavior, to try really hard, to have the right motivations and intentions, and yet not change. I actually, I think that this is part of the reason why communion for believers is so important. Because when in communion, not only we get to see how is it really that people change permanently, and how is it that people continue to change gradually, but also gives you the power in a very supernatural way when we participate in communion? So, the text we're going to be reading today is Matthew chapter 26, the first part. And part of that section there, we find the communion, the description, the first communion, the first uh, Passover celebration Jesus had with the disciples. Um, and it's interesting because Jesus there talks about something that he's going to do, that for us now is something he did in the past. He calls them to do something within themselves, and then he calls them to look into the future. I think that part of the reason why we need communion regularly is because as believers, we need to remember something that happened in the past. We need to take the time to examine inside, and we we need to look forward into the future. See, communion at the end of the day is all of us remembering, celebrating that what Jesus did for us on our behalf was enough. Amen? Amen. That in him, because of what he did in the atoning work of Jesus Christ, we have been forgiven and accepted and redeemed and sanctified and justified, and we were given a new nature. You were born again. All because Jesus did something in our past. But also, communion requires that we look in. You remember when Jesus is having this conversation with the disciples and he says to them that one of them is going to betray him and then everyone is started to ask is it going to be me lord you know why that's important because i think that when we participate in communion we got to ask a similar question am i betraying you lord am i walking in light of the love that i have received and the grace that i have am i responding to you in love and gratitude so we change when we remember what the Lord already did. We change when we exercise internal, you could say, discernment or assessment, an internal assessment, but also when we look into the future. Right at the end, when Jesus talks about communion, he says that you will not drink of this fruit of the vine, the Jews, until until that day when I will drink it with you in my father's kingdom. He's talking about the future, the second coming of Jesus, when he comes and restores all things. You know why that's important for us as Christians? Because the way to change is to remember and celebrate what Jesus already did, to examine our hearts today, and to look forward to the day where we will be completely different. That's an inspiration. That's a vision. Can you imagine that day when there's no more sin, no more struggle, no more guilt, no more shame, No more fights, no more anything that is broken in this world. That's how you change. Past, present, future. Now, if you are a believer, this celebration is for you. So I'm going to ask you to please hold your cup. And before we participate in this, we're going to do the inside part. If there's anything that you need to surrender to the Lord today, please do it. Let's take some time there. ask you to please remove the side of the cup where you find the bread. And Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, in Matthew says that he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body. You may take Now I'm going to ask you to remove, please, the other side of the cup. And Matthew 26 says that Jesus took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to the disciples and said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. You may participate. Lord, we are grateful because you are not in the business of just pointing everything that we have wrong or we do wrong. We are grateful, Lord, that you did everything, not only to save us, not only to make us new, but also to be able to live in the present as we continue to struggle with sin, but with a secure future. I'm grateful, Lord, for what you did. You already did in Jesus at the cross. We are grateful, Lord, for the opportunity to continue to repent, to grow in sanctification. And we are grateful, Lord, for what is yet to come. That that time and that day where everything broken will be completely restored. And our future version will be much better. Than what we have today. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says.
0: Let's stand. was beautiful, wasn't it? We just love the Lord. He is so good to us all. Go to the person next to you and say, the peace of Christ be with you, and then you may be seated.
2: Good morning, church family. It is good to be here. It is good to sing praises to the Lord. It is good to dwell together as the people of God. I would invite uh, the ushers to please take their places. We are about to collect our offering. Here in the Wheaton Bower Church, we believe that uh, God has called us to worship Him with everything we have, not only with our songs and our voices and our declarations of praise, but also with our time with our talents, and with our resources. So I'm going to encourage you to worship the Lord. Word says in Second Corinthians, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And that's why we give, because we want to be like our Father. He's a giver, and we want to learn to be like Him. You may pass the plates now. I also want to remind you that if you're visiting us, please do not feel obligated to participate in this part of the service. These services are gifts gift to you. But for those of us that we understand this is our church family, uh, you want to participate in this through the place. Or also you can give online at whittonbible.org gift give or you can send your offerings to the offices of the church. Today we are thankful, that as I was saying, that we can worship the Lord together in this weekend with many of our church family. It's in other places. I don't know why everybody, anyone would rather be in another place rather than here in Chicago. This is the best place in the world. But okay, some people go to Michigan, some people go to India, some people go and travel. But it's okay, we'll pray for them, for wherever they are, they enjoy this, this beautiful um Weekend. I want to uh, remind you that you can keep in touch with what's happening in our church family. If you go to our website or you want to receive, if you want to receive uh, via email the latest news of our church family, you can subscribe to, to our new e news bulletin that is called 27W. Uh, I want to uh, pray that the Lord will just open our hearts this morning as we listen to. To his word. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for your presence in our lives. You You are a good God. You are a good Father. And and we are blessed, Lord, to know you, and we are blessed to be part of your family. Lord, we pray, especially in a weekend like today, uh, we are thankful that you give us the ability to work uh, and that with our work, we can not only bring beauty to this creation but we can give you honor and and it also gives us dignities as human beings we were created to be fruitful and on a weekend like today on a day like tomorrow we remember uh, the fruit of our labor as a society we as believers want to be thankful for you the giver of strength the giver of wisdom so we pray for uh, all of us that are in every area, for those who work at a certain place, those who work from home, those who maybe have been retired from work but they're still contributing with what they're doing, bringing fruits to your glory and to creation in, with the work of our hands. Uh, we wanted this in honor and glory. To your name, Lord. We pray that you protect our brothers and sisters that are part of our family, that are in other places, uh, if they're traveling. May your protection be upon them. And Lord, we open our hearts this morning to your word. Speak to us, your holy word. May May we be transformed once and once again, more in the likeness of Jesus, as your Holy Spirit brings the truth of your word into our lives our minds, in our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I'm going to invite you to please stand up for the reading of God's Word today. A reading is actually the combination of two. You're using your journals. Um, you may find this in page 146 and 148. We are combining two weeks of our journals. Matthew chapter 26, we will read from verse 1. Until verse 35, the word of the Lord says, when Jesus, asked, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or there might be a riot among the people. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price, And the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, whatever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of the festival of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make Preparation for you to eat the Passover. He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if I fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all of the other disciples said the same. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: All right, how's everyone doing? For those of you that are new to the church, my name is Hannibal Rodriguez and I want to welcome you all to Wheaton Bible Church and today uh, we continue uh, in our journey through the Gospel of Matthew and we are spending time and looking into the last night before Jesus goes to the cross, very last night before Jesus goes to the cross and what we're going to see today there is that, that, that in that passage not only we see that Jesus wanted to go to the cross. But also we get to see the reason why Jesus had to go to the cross. See, I think that there are many people, all throughout history actually, that when, whenever we think about why is it that Jesus goes to the cross, why is it that Jesus is about to, um, when we think about the atonement, uh, the tendency is it's to reduce what Jesus does in the cross as almost like a nice feeling. It's to describe uh, the reason why Jesus goes to the cross is because he cares for us. And it's because he was willing to sacrifice for us. And, it, and somehow it's a way for people to be inspired and, and be motivated to change. And there's nothing wrong with that per se. But Jesus goes to the cross for much more than that. It's probably not less than that, but it's more than that. And what I'm going to try to do today is to convince you that the cross was not something something nice that Jesus needed to do, but it was something that he had to do. It was a necessity for Jesus to go to the cross. That unless we truly understand and believe that, we really don't understand the magnitude of the sacrificial love of Jesus. So to talk about this, we're going to look at two tables we find in the text. First, we're going to look at everything that was surrounding, uh, surrounding the Lord's table. And then we're going to look at the second table where Jesus also was part of, which is when he was in Bethany. So these are my two points for today. We're going to talk about the table of pain and the table of love. The table of pain. And the table of love. Let's go to point number one. The table of pain. And I want to start by making uh, a statement here. We sin because we are sinners. We are not sinners simply because we sin. Let, let me say it again. We sin because we are sinners. We are not just sinners because we We sin. There's got to be at least one person that is saying, man, this is going to be one of those complicated sermons. No, no, no. It's actually pretty simple. Let me explain it this way. If you are a sinner, if I'm a sinner simply because I sin, then it is possible for me to stop being a sinner. All I have to do is stop sinning, and then I will stop being a sinner. Does that make sense? But if I'm a sinner by nature, and that's the reason why I sin, then to get rid of my sin is not an easy task. Because it's already part of my nature. It already tells me that I'm broken. It tells me that there's something crooked, twisted in me. And I actually think that that's the teaching of the Bible. The Bible tells you that the reason why we sin is because we are sinners. Sin dwells still in us. And if you don't think that that is true, all you have to do is ask the question, have you stopped sinning in all spheres of your life? I know for a fact that there are people here that have stopped sinning in some areas of your life. But is that true of every area of your life? Even if you have been a Christian for 5, or 10, 15, 20 years. The fact is that there are areas and there are sins that continue to be a struggle. And the reality is that there are some sins that probably will never go away. You would say, well, Hannibal, you had Debbie Downer today. No, 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 I, I, I think that part of the reason why we have to see it is because if we don't see it, the cross does not make any sense. It's nice, it's beautiful, but it doesn't make any sense. It's not a necessity. So for the next two hours, what I'm going to try to do is to convince you that the problem with our sin cannot be, be fixed with good intentions, with behavior modification, Or even if you try really hard. My job today is to show you, at least in this point, four features or four descriptions that show why is it that our sin is so profound and so destructive? Why is it that Jesus, the atoning work of Jesus Christ at the cross, was a necessity and to convince you of that, we're gonna spend some time looking at Judas and then the rest of the disciples. And in my second point, we're gonna look at somebody else. So, right at the beginning of the text today, we see that, that this woman approaches Jesus and he's anointing Jesus with this expensive perfume. And the text says that the disciples, all of the disciples, look at that and they complain because they consider that to be a waste of good resources. Actually, the argument, the, the thing they say is that if they would have sold that the perfume, uh, they would have made a lot of money, and they would use that money to give it to the poor, which is a, a good desire, a good thing, a good plan. I want you to notice, though, that it says that all the disciples complain. What is interesting, though, is that Matthew doesn't say something that the Gospel of John does. The Gospel of John says that even though everyone complained about this, the one that complained the most, if you will, the one that objected this the most, if you will, was Judas. And he tells you that the reason why he did not care much about this was not because he cared about the poor, but because he was greedy and he was a thief. So for those of you that know a little bit of Judas' story, you know that he was kind of the treasurer of the group. He was the the, uh, bookkeeper, if you will but john tells us that part of how the part of the way how he made money is every time there was an offering if you will he would help himself a little bit it's almost like he was saying a coin for god a coin for jesus and a coin for me that's kind of what he did um and apparently this is something that judas struggled with or has been struggling with for a while and this is where we see the first feature of sin sin is greedy part of the reason why sin is so profound is because sin is greedy sin always wants more sin is never satisfied sin sin always demands craves and seeks for more to the point that a person that is being controlled by that has the potential to do the unthinkable and this is the reason why jesus why judas was willing to exchange his savior for 30 pieces of silver. Did you notice that he goes to the chief priest? And the chief priest had already made the decision that he was going to kill Jesus. And this is what he says to him in verse 15. What are you willing to give me if I deliver Jesus over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. Now, if you want to understand what that means in modern times, Think about a $100 bill. That's how much Judas received in modern times. A $100 bill. Judas walked around around with Jesus for three years. He heard what Jesus said. He, He saw who Jesus was. He knew Jesus' heart. He knew about his love, his compassion, and his truth. But that's the nature of sin. It is never enough. You always want more, even if you have to sacrifice the very people that love you. Can you see why sin is so dangerous? Number two, sin is also deceitful. It's not just greedy, it is deceitful. So Jesus is sitting down with his disciples, celebrating the Passover meal. And in the middle of this celebration, Jesus announces that one of his disciples, one of them, was going to betray him. And verse 22 says that the entire group, all the disciples, got very sad and they started to ask the most awkward question ever surely you don't me you don't mean me lord it's almost like saying i know that's not me and the craziest thing happened in that celebration you remember who was sitting next to jesus in that celebration See, I don't know if you know this, but the table was not the way uh, Leonardo da Vinci painted it. I think he was wrong, by the way. Beautiful picture. Wrong information. The way he painted the table was a long table, Jesus in the middle, and then all the disciples. But we have enough information to know that that's not how that was set up. It was actually more like a U-shape table, And the host would sit in the middle, and then it was a small table so they could look at each other, talk to one another, and hear one another. So look at what Jesus says. He has already said, Someone is going to betray me, but look at what happened in verse 23 The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. This is not a private conversation, people. This is a public statement. This is not a secret. He's pointing to something that had already happened. The one that put the finger, the big old finger in the the liquid, that's the person that is going to betray me. Now, we know, because of the Gospels, that Jesus is sitting in the middle because that's where the host would always sit. We know that John is on one side of Jesus, And we also know because of this text that Judas is in the other side of Jesus. Jesus said, whoever did this with me is the one that is going to betray me. Now, this is how I study the Bible. I put myself in that event. And I'm thinking, if I'm the disciple, if I'm one of the disciples, the first question is going to be, it can be me. I mean I'm not sitting next to Jesus. I'm like way too far. But then I, I would automatically start thinking and doing an assessment, an assessment, and the rest of the group. And then I would see that there are only two options. It's either John or it's either Judas. And if I was one of the disciples, then I would start saying, okay, let me pay attention to how John lived. And then I would go to Judas and start paying attention to how Judas lived. And if I would have noticed something, I would have said, oh, Judas looked like the traitor. I mean, I think that any of us would do that. But this gets even more crazy. Because look at what happens in verse 25. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi? And he gets more crazy. Jesus answers, You have said so. Stop there for a second. No one said anything. There is no reason why for us to assume that this was a private conversation. He had made everything clear to everybody. The dude that is sitting next to me, one of these two guys is going to betray me. And no one said anything. I am convinced that part of the reason why this happened is this. I actually think that the disciples did a, a similar assessment to the way I just described. Notice that none of the disciples says, well, yeah, yeah but let's pay attention to John or, or Judas. We did notice that when we went out with John, his demons always came out. But did you notice that Judas' demons never came out? They don't say things like that. Do you know why that's there? Because no one ever expected or suspected Judas to be the traitor. Sin is that deceitful. Nobody ever expected, even after Jesus said it, that Judas would be the one to betray the Savior. I want to remind you that Judas experienced everything that everybody else did. He was just like one of the guys. But throughout all this time, his heart was becoming harder and harder and harder. And his greed is becoming stronger, stronger, and stronger to the point that no one even believed that he will be the one. Sin is deceitful, church. It deceits others, and it also deceits us. And this is where Peter comes into the picture. Good old Peter. Because right at the end of the text, Jesus says, when I go to the cross, you're going to fall away from me. You're going to leave me alone. And Peter says this in verse 33. If all fall away and and account of you, I will never do it. You know, I love Peter's um, EQ, very low. You know, the emotional intelligence, him learning how to read the room, very low. Actually, John makes it even more clear because he says that he, got, he says something similar to this. Even if all of this will betray you, I will never betray you. <laughs> if I was one of the other guys, I was like, what's this? You know what's interesting about this? And we're going to talk about Peter, God willing, uh, in the following weeks, but I think that he meant it. I, I don't think there's any reasons in the scripture to think that, that he, he was being phony. I think that he meant it. But his sin was also deceitful. You know what's interesting? Not only was he being deceived by his own sin. Not only Judas was being deceived by his own sin. But the rest of the disciples were being deceived by their own sins. How do I know that? Verse 35. But Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same thing. Can you see it? I think that because of this verse, the theologian Justin Bieber is right. Never say never. Sin is so profound and dangerous because he's greedy and because he's also deceitful. He deceits others and he deceits us. Feature number three sin is blinding. You remember this verse, verse 23. The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. I already told you that we know that John was sitting on one side of Jesus, the right side of Jesus, and Judas was sitting on the left side of Jesus. Why would that sitting arrangement matter? See, in that context, and in that time, the person that was sitting on your left and on your right were the people closest to you you would always sit next to you, the people that you had more intimacy with, if you will. Why point that out? It's because Jesus is intentional about doing this arrangement. Jesus already knows that Judas will betray him. Jesus purposely puts Judas next to him. Jesus purposely, prior to this, had already washed Judas' feet. Jesus purposely gives Judas a place of honor. Jesus purposely invites Judas to participate in communion. It's almost like if Jesus is saying to Judas when he passed the bread... I know what you're going to do, and I still want you for me. Because the communion is an invitation. See, Jesus knows all of this. And yet, he put Judas next to him. Actually, when he's explaining the communion, look at what he says in verse 28. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus is saying to the disciples and Judas, I'm going to die in your place for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, you would think that after all of that, Judas would get it. see but judah's heart judah's heart is a hard heart judah's heart is stubborn judah's heart is greedy judah's heart is deceitful and judah's heart is blind he cannot see it he could not see how much jesus loved him He could not see what Jesus was willing to do for him. He could not see how much Jesus desired to be with him. He could not see how much Jesus wanted his freedom. He could not see how much Jesus wanted him. Our sin is so profound, so dangerous, and it's so greedy, so deceitful, because it's also blind. Unless we deal with our sin, unless we deal with our sin, there is a high probability that we can ignore the goodness, the mercy, the grace, the persistence, and the love of Jesus. Feature number four sin is lethal, it kills you. We know how the story ends. For Judas. You know what I found super interesting with that story though? Is that we know that Jesus forgives. I mean, he forgave Peter, he had already shown that he forgives sins. Jesus always forgives. But Judas' heart is so hard, so blind. That he does not see that he had the chance to repent. And Jesus would have forgiven him. But his guilt and his shame cost him his life. You guys know how he died? He did not come to Jesus. He couldn't come to Jesus. He killed himself. Our sin is so profound, so dangerous, and is not only greedy, but it's also deceitful, and it's blinding, and it kills you. Can't you see why Jesus had to die? Can't you see why is it that we cannot fix ourselves with good intentions or behavior modification or by trying harder? The problem is too profound. We need more than that. Radically much more than that. We needed to be transformed and impacted by the love of Christ. And this leads me to point number two, the table of love. And with this, we're going to go back to the to the first part of the text. When right before all of this, 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 this stuff happened, we find Jesus at Bethany, reclining, reclining at another table. And the text says that he was in the house of Simon the leper, which means that he was a person that used to be sick, and for some reason now the Lord has given extended mercy. His name is Simon, once again. And the text says that when Jesus was spending time with him, Verse 7, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, and she poured that perfume on Jesus' head when he was reclining at the table. Now, the Gospel of Matthew doesn't tell us who that woman is, but if you read the Gospel of John, it tells you that that is Mary, the sister of Martha, the sister of Lazarus. And if you know anything about that family, you know that this is a very close uh, family, very close uh, family to Jesus. And John also tells us, and Matthew also tells us, that this perfume was very expensive. Actually, when you read the Gospel of Matthew, it tells you that the price of that perfume was about a one year's salary at that time and in that context. So Mary pours this perfume on Jesus' head. And this is kind of an act of devotion and appreciation. And most scholars, when they read this and explain this, they say that this is a symbolic expression of her conviction that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. And that's an important information because he's telling you that somehow, by the power of the Spirit, the illumination of the Spirit, she came to the conclusion that Jesus was in fact the Messiah, the Savior of the world. But when the disciples saw all of these, you guys remember? They got upset. And they complained. But look at how Jesus responds in verse 10. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. And the word beautiful there is very important because it could also be translated as it fits. What Jesus is saying to the disciples, why are you bothering this woman what she is doing fits me? In other words, what this woman is doing, I deserve. And also, the text says, that that event was preparing Jesus to go to the cross. Verse 12 and 13. She did it to prepare for me burial. uh, Prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, whenever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. That's a beautiful sentence. He says that that lady, that event, would always be remembered all throughout church history. So we have to ask the question, why is that so significant? And what does that have to do with our sin and our problem with sin. I'm going to make the argument that part of the reason why we sin and we are sinners is because we are always longing for something and looking for something. See, part of the reason why we always struggle with our sin is because we are always longing for something or looking for something. And I want to make the argument that Mary is the perfect example of someone that found in Jesus what we have all been longing for and looking for. I want to make the argument that the distinction, the difference between Mary and Judas, and Mary and the rest of the disciples at this moment, is that she found in Jesus everything she was looking for. So, if sin is greedy, it's because deep down inside we are seeking for satisfaction. Satisfaction. If sin is greedy, it's because we're seeking for satisfaction. This is what Judas was looking for. This is the reason why he wanted more money, and he wanted to accumulate more money. Somehow, he was desperately seeking for satisfaction, which is interesting because even though he had Jesus, he never found. But Mary did. She found in Jesus the one that would truly satisfy. So and so much that had that... um, That compared to Jesus, her expensive perfume was nothing. This is interesting. The word beautiful can also be translated as not equivalent. Meaning that she put Jesus on one end and the perfume on the other end. And she said, Jesus is much more than this. She found in Jesus the one that could speak to her soul. This is why Mary is the first lady we find at Jesus' feet, learning from him. She found in Jesus the one that weeps with her. You remember when her brother died. Jesus wept with her. She found in Jesus the one that has the power to resurrect the dead. Isn't that what Jesus did for her her brother? jesus was the satisfaction judas was looking for and mary found that's how we change that's how sin lose power that's how we find freedom see sin is deceitful because deep down inside we want to control what people think of us and we want to be accepted and loved and appreciated that's the longing we sin because we want to be accepted, loved, and appreciated. That was what Judas was looking for, but that was what Mary found. She found in Jesus the one that in, a, that, in that culture and in that time, when women are an undermined, undervalued, and an underappreciated, Jesus honored her, welcomed her, loved her, appreciated her, taught her, spent time with her, and noticed her. Jesus was the one she found in Jesus the one that would defend her even when his own disciples are going against her. See Jesus was the honor the love the appreciation Judas was looking for. But Mary found her. See, if sin is binding, blinding, Is because deep down inside, we are afraid that people see how broken we are. But that's not Mary. In John 12, we find Mary at Jesus' feet again. Weeping over him Drying Jesus' feet with her hair. You know how vulnerable you have to be to do that? Why did she do that? Because she knew that she would not be rejected. See, Jesus is the acceptance Judas needed and was looking for. But it's the one that Mary found. See, sin kills because we think that our sins are way too big to be forgiven. And this is something that Mary at this moment cannot teach us. Because I already told you before, she already believed that Jesus was the Messiah. She already believed that Jesus came to save her, somehow. What she did not know was how. But we do. See, we got the whole picture. We know why there was bread on the table and why there was wine on the table. We know what the celebration of Passover meant. We know why is it that at communion, Jesus says, this is the blood of the covenant in the Passover celebration. See, we know as believers today that Jesus did not come to celebrate the Passover. He came to be our Passover. You remember where the Passover comes from. You remember when the Israelites are slaves in Egypt. And the Lord is going to deliver them from from the Egyptians. You remember what the Lord asked them to do. To kill a lamb and use the blood to paint the doorpost so the Israelites, by grace, will not be executed. That is the Passover celebration. This is something that Mary did not know there, but we know today that that lamb was a foreshadow, that event was a foreshadow of what we get to see in Jesus. It is Jesus' blood, the one that was painted not on a door, but on the cross. It is not a regular lamb. Jesus is the lamb. It's not the wrath of God coming upon his people. Jesus taking the wrath that we all deserve. See, it is because Jesus did what he did that we have been rescued. We have been loved. We have been, de- de- been declared uh, uh, righteous. This is the reason why we have been forgiven. Accepted, secured, and welcomed. This is why Jesus had to die. And that is what changed Mary. Even though she didn't get the full picture. And that's what we got in Jesus. And that's why Jesus had to die. He's not in the business of making you better. He wants to make you new. Let me finish with this. Rebecca McLaughlin, in her book, Jesus Through the Eyes of Women, says this. How do we see Jesus through Mary's eyes? We see him as the one who heals our hurts and meets our needs. We see him as the one who takes our sin upon himself and welcomes us with unimaginable love. We see him as the one who sees us, even when all others turn away, and as the one who welcome us to learn from him. We see him as the one who gathers up our broken hearts and bodies in his arms, and as the one who has the power to make us whole. We see him as the one who faced the terror of God's judgment on the cross so we could turn his face so he can turn his face to us and call us into his everlasting life. He doesn't want to make you better. He came to make you new. Even we continue to a certain degree to be like Judas. A lot to learn from Mary, don't you think? Let's pray. Our wonderful God, we are grateful that not only, Lord, you point to us the areas of our life that need to change, that not only, Lord, you give us the description of how awful and profound and dangerous is our sin, But we are grateful, Lord, that you do not leave us there. That there's a reason why you had to come and you had to die. So we could find what we longed for. What Mary longed for and she found. What Judas longed for and he rejected. Lord, please take us to the cross. Allow us to see our Passover celebration. Help us understand what happened there. And then leave us there. Until there's no more room for sin. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says,
3: Amen, church. Let's stand together. Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son.
2: Father for giving us your Son Jesus. May we live our lives this week for the glory of our Redeemer. Receive the benediction Jesus won for us at the cross. May God be gracious to us and bless us. And may his face shine on us so that his ways may be known on earth and his salvation among all nations. And the people of God said, amen. amen. You dismiss we love you. You are sent with the Bible Church. Bien bien, tú cómo has estado? Bien, gracias. A Dios.